God's been doing a remarkable work in Austin's life, and as you can see there, there are specific spiritual seasons um, that he's been going through, which works out really great because we're going to be talking about seasons for, I don't know, the next three months. Um, and I would love for you to even prayerfully consider coming up here and doing something like Austin just did. Maybe the Lord would be putting it on your heart even now to come and tell a church about how you have become a follower of Jesus, what God's doing in your life. I would love for you to turn your Bibles to um, the book of Psalms. So we just wrapped a series in 2 Corinthians, and we are beginning a new series in the Psalms. And this morning we will be reading Psalm 1. Psalm 1. The scripture passage will be up on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us as well. There are some blue Bibles sitting in the baskets in the seats in front of you as well. Psalms, by the way, it's pretty much in the middle, so if you just take your Bible and, and you open it up, there's a really good chance uh, you're going to open up to the book of Psalms. And if you are physically able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Psalm 1, starting in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But check this out. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does is, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Almighty God, there are so many things that could pull us outside of attentiveness to this text this morning. Life circumstances, circumstances even in this very room. Who knows what's going on in the lives of people that are gathered here. Some who have come in, some have come in feeling particularly strong and encouraged. Other people are in very difficult, if not dark, seasons. Some people are, are distracted. The, the cares and the worries of the, the world are, are upon their minds. And so, Lord, would you do a supernatural work? May your Holy Spirit work in such power that we would, all of us, despite the seasons that we're in, leave here greatly encouraged and challenged in Christ Jesus. We pray for Austin. Thank you for the reconciliation you have done in his life vertically and also horizontally. And Father, I do pray uh, that you would continue to use him not only to uh, bless others in this church family, but to bless our city. And I pray that we would be challenged by his boldness in sharing and, and consider sharing ourselves in the coming weeks and months. We love you so much, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me tell you something. Preachers love to talk about seasons because seasons preach. I mean, seasons, check this out, check this out, right? Some of you are in a hard season right now, but spring comes after winter. Amen? See that? See how it preaches? And at least a few of you were, were thinking of, about getting up and, and moving around a little bit. Maybe, 
maybe raising your, your arms toward glory. And, and by the way, you can do that here at City Church. Just brief pause to let you know. You can do that, at least the hand raising in the, in the amen part, okay? Maybe, maybe save the tambourine, let us warm into that a little bit in the next few months. But for real, we're not having a staring contest. This isn't an orchestra hall. You don't have to stay quiet enough to hear the flutes, okay? Why do seasons preach like this? Because life is seasonal, a reality affecting every person and every place and every age. There are pleasant seasons and painful seasons. There are exciting seasons and mundane seasons. There are encouraging seasons and very discouraging seasons. Faith, uh, fruitful seasons and, and dry seasons. Seasons of fulfillment and seasons of waiting. In fact, the, the main thing we know about a given season is that it won't last forever. Some seasons are longer than others, but at some point things will change. Consider, for example, I was thinking about it this week, that even the most powerful and successful people in the world eventually grow old and die just like everybody else. Or how about this? Statistically speaking, although there's a lot of, a lot of variance in these estimates because of reporting issues, about 30% of the most powerful people in the world have diapers in their future, and that's not for their kids. I have some really good news, especially for those made anxious by the prevalence of such seasonality. Even though earthly seasons come and go, God's word is never out of season. Amen. See, now I'm, I'm getting to preaching again, but seriously, Scripture speaks into every season of our lives, sometimes by giving us language to speak in those seasons, which is essentially the nature of the book of Psalms. And I have some good news, even more good news. We're going to spend the rest of the summer learning from the Psalms concerning what it looks like to walk with God in different seasons of our lives, starting today until August. This morning we're beginning our series in Psalm 1, a psalm that will establish some groundwork for the rest of our series, and then next week, Lord willing, in Psalm 3 we'll talk about walking with God in seasons of shame, and then the week after that in Psalm 16 we'll talk about walking with God in seasons of discontentment, and then so on and so forth, and we'll be off to the races. So let's go ahead and press this morning into Psalm 1, focusing on the relevance of Scripture in every season and the benefits afforded to us as a people of God by that relevance. Two exhortations that will frame our time together this morning. Number one, be blessed. And then number two, bear fruit. Church, be blessed and bear fruit. Begin with that first exhortation. Church, be blessed. Did you know that it's actually possible to be blessed in any season? And not in a disingenuous, you know, kind of head in the sand, 
too blessed to be stressed kind of way. Not that kind of way. We are talking about real blessedness, rich in meaning, that sticks with us in both pleasant and painful seasons. Christianity, by the way, offers two profoundly beautiful opportunities for those of you who are disenchanted by our contemporary emphasis on earthly comfort and individualism. Number one, the opportunity to pursue blessedness that transcends our external circumstances. A Christian facing persecution and draconian lockdowns in China can still be blessed. Then number two, it offers us the opportunity to embrace an identity that's given to us by our Creator that we don't have to perform for the approval of our peers. Those are remarkable opportunities that the Christian faith offers, and the beauty of these opportunities will be prominent throughout our series, so be looking for them. Let's look now at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The Psalms prefer to show us things rather than bluntly tell us things, which isn't surprising when we consider that the Psalms are actually a treasury of Hebrew poetry. And that poetry includes literary devices like metaphors, and parallelism, and even certain cadences and rhythms that are not always easy to detect in our English translations. Psalm 1 opens with some parallelism that first helps us understand that the blessed man or the blessed woman is not going along with the wicked, with sinners, and with scoffers. The blessed man or woman makes an intentional decision to not engage with godlessness, not even to dabble with it. That the absoluteness of this line reminds me of the language the Apostle Paul used in his letter to the Ephesian Christians where he writes, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. That's the kind of absoluteness we're talking about. And notice that the, the psalmist here does not simply say the same thing three times. There's a pattern of intensification for the sake of emphasis. The blessed man isn't influenced by wicked people. The blessed man, in other words, doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. And the blessed man certainly doesn't belong to the fraternity of those who practice evil, stand in the way of sinners. And the blessed man most certainly does not take up residence with those who practice evil and openly exhort other people to do the same and mock those who practice otherwise. In other words, sit in the seat of scoffers. You see what the psalmist is doing here. The blessed man doesn't even flirt with wickedness because in all likelihood, he won't stop there. Blessed is the corporate executive who doesn't even make friends with unscrupulous businessmen, nor cooks the books a bit to make his company's performance look better in the eyes of investors, nor initiates his own 
Ponzi scheme to defraud vulnerable people of millions of dollars. You see the ex escalation that's going on in this song. Innocent compromise often leads to very dramatic results, even if it's years down the road. So what does a blessed man do? Verse 2. The blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The law at this time when this psalm was probably written was most likely, it most likely included the biblical books of, of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, maybe a few more, it's hard to know for sure. If we think of the law merely as, as God's rules, it's frankly hard to understand why someone would delight in it, right? You really don't hear people say, wow, I just, I just love reading organizational bylaws. Hard not to delight in those, right? Especially the more strenuous prohibitions. But the term law here basically means instruction. Specifically, the instructions, including some rules that God lays out for us in his word that we might live according to his plan for the world, a plan that equips us to glorify God and enjoy him as his representative stewards on this earth. That is a law that we can truly delight in. And those who indeed do delight in God's law are those who meditate on it. The Hebrew term behind the English word meditate gives us this idea of, of listening to and hearing something and then chewing on it. And this might sound odd, but even, even murmuring a bit as we read through it, yes. But talking through it, reciting even back to ourselves what we're hearing, Richard Foster, who wrote the very influential book, Celebration of Discipline, he describes Christian meditation like this. Christian meditation is the ability to hear God's voice and follow it. Not just listen to something, but really hear it. And then, and then follow it and then act on it. Or to pull all of this together, when we're meditating, we're hearing and observing, and then we're, we're processing, we're, cheering, we're, we're chewing on it, and then and ultimately, we're taking action. If we read Scripture, but it doesn't affect the rhythms of our everyday lives, that is a telltale sign that we're not doing much meditating. How about that? People who, who meditate on Scripture, they take it with them throughout the day, meaning that they're regularly reviewing passages in their minds that maybe they read that morning, maybe that they, they memorized in the past or whatever. This is why in, in verse 2, the psalmist emphasizes that the blessed man meditates on the law day and night. It's not so much about having two quiet times. It's about a life lived in conversation with God. Morning, evening, and all the time in between. 
This becomes even more clear in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, where God very famously tells Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Do you see this? It shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So meditation is this all-the-time sort of thing, where the book of the law does not depart from our mouths. And once again, action is the expected outcome. You know you're meditating on it when you start taking action. The 19th century British pastor, Charles Spurgeon, who wrote more extensively on the Psalms than anyone else I'm aware of, describes the rhythms of meditation like this. Consider this. The man meditating on the law delights to be in it as his rule of life. He delights, moreover, to meditate in it, to read it by day, and think upon it by night. He takes a text and carries with him, carries it with him all day long, and in the night watches, when sleep forsakes his eyelids, he muses upon the word of God. In the day of his prosperity, he sings psalms of the word of God, and in the night of his affliction, he comforts himself with promises out of this same book. And this description, it, it brings us back to how, we, to how he started things, does it not? That, that in the Lord, it's possible to be blessed in every season. Even in the anxious seasons when sleep forsakes us and we're tossing fretfully in the quiet of our rooms, we can take a very precious text of Scripture that, that speaks into such seasons and, and muse on it with genuine delight and be blessed. In seasons of loss, even when tears literally dot the pages of our Bibles, we can meditate on a precious text of Scripture that speaks into loss and grief and be blessed. The blessing of the Lord's favor upon us has no constraints. We can experience it even in the night watches. There is never a time in which we cannot experience the Lord's goodness to us. It's always possible. When C.S. Lewis found out his wife had cancer, he penned a letter to a friend saying, we know that the Lord will be good to us, we just don't know how painful that goodness will be. We know that we will be blessed, but that blessedness might be painful. Isn't that remarkable and just so compelling? And of course, in seasons of plenty, we can take a very precious text that gives voice to our gratitude and, and meditate on it with joy and then be blessed. Seasons of plenty are incomplete without gratitude. So if you want to experience blessedness and seasons of plenty, gratitude is a must, and Scripture gives us that kind of voice. Church, if we want to be a community of people who are constantly meditating on God's Word and therefore be blessed despite the season, here's a sense of what this will look like individually Although, of course, these rhythms might look different for different people in different seasons. Five things. Number one, we will read God's Word, in other words, His law, daily. And think about how, how blessed we are 
Right? The psalmist had maybe a few books of the Bible to consider, but now we have the whole thing. Now we have 66 books. If that guy could delight in the law, imagine how delightful it could be for us. Number two, generally we'll try to read God's word at least once a day in a, in a quiet place where we can reflect and, and muse and, and chew. I mean, if, if Jesus himself desired quiet places for focus and clarity when he communed with God the Father, then certainly we need that too. And I know that this can be very challenging if you have a big family and or you live in a small place. So get creative. Serve one another in the body of Christ to make this possible. Number three, we'll memorize God's word. Perhaps the most neglected Christian discipline is this beautiful opportunity we have to actually memorize the text of God's word. And think about how practical this, this is. Unless you plan on walking around all day with your nose literally in the Bible, really the only way to meditate on it consistently is to actually memorize passages of Scripture. And by the way, one of the very best ways to understand a passage of Scripture is actually to spend time memorizing it. The time and energy it takes to understand the pattern of a passage and commit it to memory will help you understand what the passage actually means. Memorizing one or two verses of Scripture, I think, is a really good place to start, but ultimately I, I tend to exhort people to memorize larger chunks of Scripture, even whole chapters, maybe even start with Psalm 1. You can memorize Psalm 1. And let me say this by means of encouragement. You can actually memorize more scripture than you would, you would think you could. Number four. So, we're reading God's law daily. We're trying to do it in a quiet place at least once a day. We're memorizing God's word. Then no, number four, we're reflecting on what we are reading and memorizing. That is, and this is as Old Testament scholar uh, Mark Futato puts it, we'll turn God's word over in our minds, listening to God and expecting him to talk to us about areas where we're doing well and areas where we need to grow. As you can see, this requires that we slow down and think. As someone I respect recently uh, said with, with both love and, and great boldness, he was, he was saying this in a podcast, and I just heard it. I should have just pulled my truck over and listened. He said, with so much fatherly love and boldness, he said, put your phone down and sit in God's word. Put your phone down and sit in God's word. Let it, let it wash over you. And I know some of you have these like 400-day streaks going on the, the version app or whatever. But if that's a distraction, if you're getting texts and, and bings and all kinds of things going on, Get out a physical copy and sit in that, and I will give you one. And then number five, we'll prayerfully consider action steps. We'll turn it over, we'll reflect on it, we'll let it wash over us, and we'll consider action steps. We'll ask the Lord to show us how we should live in light of what he's showing us. And we'll bring other people into the loop to hold us accountable. This is where Scripture, I think, is directing me. I want you to know about it, and I want you to check in and see how it's going. 
not legalistically, but I want you to exhort me. I want you to encourage me in Christ Jesus. I want you to warn me when I'm straying from the kinds of ways I told you I was going to be tethered to. Press into these rhythms, church, and simultaneously back away from godlessness, from wickedness, and you will be so blessed. Not because you earned it, not because God says, well, because you've read this many chapters this month, guess what I'm going to do? But because God is gracious to his people and gives us exactly the kinds of resources we need to experience his favor and be well, regardless of the season, even though we haven't earned that opportunity at all. And the blessedness won't always be this jubilant, you know, happy, clappy kind of stuff. But in any season, this kind of blessedness we receive from delighting in God's word is always game for quieting our souls and giving us true contentment. Always. And, and this is where things start to get truly fascinating, we're blessed even in the hard seasons because we know that in time we will bear fruit because we know that in time, the winter will give way to spring. Amen? And that brings us to our second exhortation. Bear fruit. There's a great t-shirt, by the way, about that out there. I'll show it to you one day. That makes a joke out of that line. Verse 3. Let's keep reading about this blessed man who delights in the law of the Lord. This will preach too. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Church, we were just talking about how life is, shall we say, inconsistent. There are seasons of life where everything seems to be going very well. You're in excellent health. Your job is at least tolerable. You're in love with that special someone. Your kids are above average. But there are also seasons of life when things seem to fall apart. And as someone has said, often in seasons of, of good and plenty, it seems like things keep getting better and better. And often in the hard seasons, it seems like things keep getting worse and worse and worse. Health issues spring up, and then relationships with family members might become difficult. Perhaps your coworkers mistreat you. Your kids are struggling in school. It just kind of comes for you sometimes. If you haven't experienced a, a season like this, someday you will. <laughs> I'm not being cynical. It's just reality, and it's wise to be mindful of this reality, lest we find ourselves completely shocked and unprepared when the difficult seasons come. But here's the, the wonderful news about the person who meditates regularly on God's word. That person is firmly planted by streams of water, absorbing that water in every season, and then yielding its fruit in its appropriate season. So you're firmly, resiliently planted all of the time, and then you are bearing fruit when it's time. You're firmly planted all of the time, and then you're bearing fruit when it's time. 
the, the when it's time part leads us down two remarkable, ultimately intersecting paths. Path number one, firmly planted trees have what they need in every moment, which means those who are nourishing themselves with God's word will have what they need at all times. In seasons of suffering, you'll experience peace. In seasons of frustration, patience. In seasons of conflict, gentleness. In seasons of accomplishment, thanksgiving. Nourish yourself on God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit at working you through his word. The wonderful seasons won't make you proud and insufferable. They'll result in thanksgiving nor will the hard seasons destroy you and cause you to be dismayed. And then path number two. When it's apple season, your branches will be full of apples. Church is not always apple season, okay? I mean, my, my kids start longing for strawberry season in July which is a big problem if you know when the strawberries are coming. We can't go to the strawberry farm right now. How many days? Like 250 days, guys. Bad news. It's not always apple season. You will not always feel like you're living your best spiritual life now. But those aren't necessarily barren seasons. If you're firmly planted by the streams, they're, they're growing seasons in which God is shaping us and pruning us, and then at exactly the right time, we blossom spiritually. Someone once said, and this is honestly one of the most encouraging things I've ever heard, that revival is either here right now or coming. How about that consideration? At all times, it's either going on right now or it's on its way. Sometimes revival is here and we see God pouring out His Spirit in marvelous ways. People are getting saved etc., etc. Other times, things seem far less spectacular, more mundane, more painful. But guess what? All of that is a prelude to revival. At some point, the tables are going to turn. And here's the thing. That doesn't just apply corporately to times and places. It applies individually as well. Those who delight themselves in God's Word are either experiencing a season of spiritual flourishing and spiritual renewal, or they're about to. And this helps us manage our expectation, doesn't it? Not, not every season is going to feel like a spiritual winner. But springtime is coming. Amen. Whereas one musical artist, popular especially among college students, has put this very recently, so don't you find it strange that God, he made four seasons, and only one is spring. Managing expectations allows us to experience joy in the Lord at all times. And it keeps us from pursuing ungodly outlets as a means of escape when things get particularly difficult, as if something about our faith is broken or insufficient. If you think every season is apple season and the apples don't come, you're going you're gonna to look for ways out because you're going to think something is, is wrong, that something is off. But it's not always apple season. Stay faithful follower of Jesus. Stay firmly rooted by the stream, and you will bear fruit in the season. If you ever take some time to read the biographies of some of the heroes of the Christian faith, people like, I don't know, George Whitfield, Susanna Wesley, 
William Wilberforce, Corey Ten Boom, so forth. What you will find is that all of those folks went through substantial trials. Substantial being an understatement. And yet they were faithful and they persevered. They weren't perfect, but by and large, they were faithful. Why? Because they meditated on God's word day and night. And those scriptures nourished their souls. And let's be clear here. The scriptures didn't tell William Wilberforce, you know, hey, since you're faithfully fighting against the slave trade, I will make sure your chronic debilitating stomach pains are gone in the morning. Tomorrow you're going to be having five-alarm chili and washing it all down with orange juice. That's not what scripture says. Scripture was saying things like this to William Wilberforce. Take heart. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is the Lord's faithfulness. And they were saying things like this. Take heart, William. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We just talked about this in 2 Corinthians. And Scripture was saying things like this. Take heart. One day the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is what Scripture was telling William Wilberforce. And so these heroes of the faith prospered. That is, they were faithful followers of Jesus, and they walked with God, and they were satisfied in Him. The joy of the Lord was their strength, regardless of their estate in this life. And because they were filled up with the joy of the Lord, they could then invest joyfully in other people, even when they were physically and emotionally depleted. And again, as other people have noticed, isn't that really the point of a tree? That you bear fruit for the benefit of other people? It's not really about you. But Psalm 1 doesn't end with verse 3. In verses 4 through 6, we learn the true value, if you would say that, of wickedness true value of taking a pass on Christian meditation for the sake of pursuing godlessness and self-interested gain. Unlike the blessed man, the wicked man is like the chaff that the wind blows away. In the psalmist's day, it was common to see chaff blowing around grain fields. They were the lighter and edible parts of the grain harvest that, that blew away during the winnowing process and separated the chaff from the heavier grain. So on one end of the spectrum of sturdy things, you have a firmly planted tree. And then on the other end, you have the chaff being blown about by the wind. The wicked may prosper for a season, but their prospering is insecure. The slightest storms of life will send them into a tailspin, and their wickedness will bear the worst kind of fruit in its season. The innocent sins they they take root, and then over time, the innocent sins become far more ferocious monsters, inflicting harm on yourself and on other people. One reason that wickedness can be so enticing is that it often doesn't look all that wicked, at least for a very long time. In fact, it can actually look quite wonderful and restful, but underneath the surface, it's, it's percolating, and it will bear bad fruit and season. And even if things go remarkably well for wicked people in this life, we can see in verse 5 that the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead, he will give the wicked the desires of their hearts, namely eternity without God, and ultimately miserable existence. John Calvin sums things up like this in his commentary on the Psalms. He says, The substance of the whole is that they are blessed who apply their hearts to the pursuit of heavenly wisdom, whereas the despisers of God, although for a time they may reckon themselves happy, shall at length have a most miserable end. Delight yourself in God's word, and you will have true life, even when your earthly circumstances feel like a kind of death. Delight yourself in wickedness, and you'll have death, even when you feel like you're really living. There are, therefore, two ways to live. And not much of a middle here in Psalm 1. You're pursuing righteousness in life, or you're pursuing wickedness and death. I want to close with this, and we'll go right, right into communion. Why are the righteous truly blessed? Why true life, even though life feels like death sometimes? Is it because of nice sentiments that we get in Scripture? No. Because all the law, Psalm 1, and the prophets, what were they doing? They were pointing to Jesus Christ who is himself the word of God, John chapter 1, and is himself true life. Jesus gives us this living water that we might drink and be eternally satisfied. A miraculous gift made possible on account of Christ himself tasting death, on account of Christ experiencing the plight typically reserved for the wicked, so that through his victorious resurrection, sinful people might be made righteous and therefore be blessed. That's the thing that's going to carry you. Not just into eternity, but carry you now in the midst of everyday troubles. Spiritual resilience comes from being bowled over by Christ the Word becoming flesh and being crucified and being raised for us. And here's what I think. I think that this will become clear in the Psalms, even though you're not going to find the name Jesus printed in any of them. I think you're going to see that the Psalms aren't just tips for living well. They're songs, beautiful songs, that give us voice even in the depths of our longing and pain and suffering that point us to the Messiah and give us hope in any season. Amen.